how much do you think you've invested in education? Man, six figures for sure. Yeah. yeah. Nice. And then that, all that also entails like, you know, being in the rooms and all that stuff too, right? Yeah. 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 There's, there's still a lot of masterminds I'm looking at and I'm like, oh, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, same with us. We spend probably just this year alone, like multiple six figures. And then over the course of it, I mean, it's probably still sub a million, but it's definitely like half a million, if not more, just in like masterminds, education. That's only been over the course of like two, three years. So we're, we're definitely big and same thing, just paying to be in the room because we don't have the network and what we, we have a decent network just with Ryan and all the podcasts and I like, you know, just being in connection with all these people, but there's definitely still a huge untapped market for us. And, you know, just learning from, I think if I can think of the reason why we've scaled so quickly, it's because we're able to just like put pick information from the people who are already doing it, right? Everybody's like somewhat of a phone call away and we wouldn't have that if we weren't in, you know, these networking masterminds and all that type of stuff too. So you see, too, that's, that's the biggest ROI on spend or is it something else? Um, for us, the biggest ROI on spend is definitely um, education, I think. I mean, obviously, like, right, we can talk about ad spend, you know, the like the we spend, I mean, I was looking at it, we've spent um, over, like, to date, to date this year, we've spent close to about 800000 just on, like, paid advertising and all that type of stuff. Um, but I think the biggest ROI is definitely the network, getting the return on spend. Ryan was just talking about it. We spent, like, we spent $100,000 to get Ed Milet to speak at our next event. Right. But not only, but to us, we're like, okay, we're going to get in the room with Ed. He already got on the podcast. So now Ryan's on that, like that platform. We're able to pick his brain. And now we have Ed's phone in, phone in you know, our phone book. So just in case we need anything down the road, we're able to connect. So for us, yeah, I, I think the biggest ROI is definitely on the network and making those connections for sure. I think so. it's the hardest thing to calculate. And that's yeah. why people don't do it because you yeah. kind of, to a certain degree, have to take a leap of faith when you invest in proximity. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I agree. And, but I think for us, we've gotten to the point now where it's like, we've seen so much return in just other ways and making these connections and, you know, we're willing to take the bet uh, uh, now just because we've seen how it's played out for sure. So it's yeah. been huge. So, so you got a rolly on the wrist. Um, is that your only one? Do you have multiple? Like, are, are you a, are you is, a watch guy? Or? I'm not. So yeah. this is the only Roly. Um, there's a great story with this. Yeah, watch. tell me. So um, I'm not going to say his name because he's very private. But he has he has the record for the largest um, private equity transaction from a single investor. Wow. Um, and it was on Lyft. He raised 124 million from one guy. That's um, crazy. Pre IPO, and he's our trader. He's also mm -hmm. our connection at Innovation X. This was his watch, mm -hmm. and um, Cody, our founder, gave me a target, and he was like, "I'm buying you a Rolex when you hit this target. Don't give me a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Crush that target." Mm -hmm. And then at our at our boot camp, um, this gentleman spoke, and um, I got his watch. So I'm wearing oh, I'm wearing that's a, awesome. a private equity legends Rolex, dude. That's pretty sweet that's that's a way better deal uh, better story than mine but <laughs> no that's awesome and so would you say you know understanding sales is probably one of the most important skills you you have in your tool belt or what do you think it is yeah i mean it's like when we define sales it's i i don't know it's like you know i read all the sales books and then i threw it all in the garbage i yeah. was like this just makes me feel gross you know i agree and um i heard i hear gary brecker talk about this a lot the the frequency of authenticity mm -hmm. and just the energy i feel like that's really what sales is yeah is just being pure with your intentions and people can feel that and if you're 
intentionally asking questions to help solve their problem, it's really not more complicated than that. I agree. And that's what I think a lot of people when I when I say like sales skills, I think they might have a negative connotation that I'm talking about, you know, the Grant Cardone style where, you know, if you ask a certain question to overcome this objection, then, you know, you're, you're going to negotiate. But in reality, it's just being genuinely curious and effectively communicating, I think yeah. would be a better way to put it for. And that's what it sounds like a lot of your role is today and i correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like what you're doing is just having a product and then finding the right people for that product yeah being a connector Mm -hmm. that's it yeah so what's next on the roadmap i know you said you you got a different fund um i mean in an ideal situation like what are you going to do next yeah, I mean, I want to focus um, not only just on on the funds mm-hmm. and everything, um, but I, I want to get back into I'm um, an investment mode um, mm-hmm. personally too. Yeah, you know, I've, I'm really heavy in multifamily as an LP. Um, I see the opportunity to move to the GP side. Maybe we bring some funds in that way. How many doors? Because you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, it's sixteen seventy four. Nice. Yeah, and is that all throughout the U.S. or where is that based? Yeah, it's five states. Okay. Um, so, and this is like my investment philosophy and principle because I see what happens when you're when you're too allocated to one thing, mm-hmm. and you just don't want to fall in love with one thing, right? So if For you got sure. if you got a million bucks to invest, you put it in ten deals. You hit, throw the minimum, put a hundred in ten deals, right? So yeah, I got a lot of doors, but that doesn't mean you have a lot of money in it, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, I was. Um, I didn't want to have too much A class, didn't want to have too much B, didn't want to have too much C, spread it out. And then I didn't want to have too much exposure to any certain economy in the country. So two in Texas, there's a portfolio of six apartments in Ohio that I'm in, and then one in Illinois, and then one in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So and, nice. and if I find a great deal in Texas, I probably won't go for it because I want to get exposure to just different areas. I'm always thinking about how do we protect this capital first rather than getting greedy mm-hmm. on um, on the returns. So walk me through the business structure of what your hedge fund looks like, to, if you can, today. Like how many employees, what are their roles, that kind of stuff? Yeah, we're, we're lean. I mean, it's, it's an interesting business when you don't have a, a physical product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is the opposite of my old business. <laughs> so really at the top, it's just three of us. Um, Cody Kearns mm-hmm. is the founder portfolio manager, CEO, and then Sergio Traconis is our COO, mm-hmm. great systems guy, need that because I'm not me. Yeah. And then um, I'm, the, I'm the president of sales. So the three of us are working on a daily basis, um, growing this thing. We do have some internal um, employees that just help out with some administration stuff. But one thing in the fund space that I think is really important, like if you get one thing out of this podcast to protect yourself is do business with funds that have third-party administration. Interesting. Why is that? Well, two things. Number one, compliance is very complicated. They're excellent at it. They specialize in it, Mm -hmm. right? But it also protects the LPs from the GPs, Mm. right? Like if you look at every every fraud and Ponzi of all time, they all did internal reporting. They were falsifying things. They had too much internal control, right? So when you put a third-party administration in place, you can't move money without them signing off on it. They do the audit. They send the reports to the investors every month. The statements don't even come from us, right? So it, sense. it puts the checks and balances in place that you can trust the information you're getting as an investor, and it makes it impossible for for your your GPs to steal your money or do anything <laughs> like that. So that's just a a, founda- a core foundation of, of how we built the structure of the fund to have that in mm-hmm. place. That's huge. And so that's a very lean operation. So headcount total, so you got three on the top, and then... How many admin type people do you do you guys have? Like two, two? yeah, and then um, and then we have capital raisers and strategic partners. Mm-hmm. So they're they're managers of the fund, right? Ten ninety nine. 
Um, it might be someone I have a relationship with that is, you know, has a different business in the finance space, but they have people that would be interested in what we do. And then it cross collaborates and they can get um, compensated that way. So um, we have, I'm going to say probably five of those as well. That's impressive. To ha- I mean, and again, you guys don't have a physical product, so it makes sense. Um, what would there ever be a need to like scale additional sales pe- acquisitions people or how, how do you guys foresee the business growing in the next like year? Yeah, that's what we're putting together right now, right? There's a lot of ways to scale. Do we want to, you know, hire a huge sales team of capital raisers to go out and, you know, try to, you know, network their power base and, you know, go to events and meet, mm-hmm. you know, accredited investors, or do we want to look at bigger strategic partners, which is kind of what I want to do instead of hiring 20, 20 people. I'd, I'd rather get yeah. one partnership with someone with a massive network like you guys, right. Totally, yeah. And say like, Oh, we'll put up a story about SpaceX and then you'd rip profits. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything. Right. So I'm looking for people with, you know, really big networks that are in this type of space where they're, they're following a network is is related, but we can help each other. Well, totally. It's that 80-20 rule type idea, right? You know, just go focus on the 20% of people who are going to create like the biggest output for you guys instead of, yeah, I mean, it'd be, it could be somewhat profitable to go build a huge sales team, but then, you know, now you got to deal with payroll deal, deal, and like acquisitions and all this extra stuff where in reality, you could probably find one big guy to produce all that you know all that capital as a so it, it makes a lot of sense so mm-hmm. i get it and if you guys are operating pretty lean what why even worry about you know building out that team so makes sense yeah i mean i haven't seen margins like this anywhere because it's <laughs> you, know, you don't really have any overhead mm-hmm. huge 